The Letter to the Americans, Week 4, Homeless in Rome. Set in the context of the expulsion and return of Judeans to Rome, Paul's letter to the Christian communities amid the empire is fundamentally about home. If Judeans are consistently considered a shameful people who do not deserve the security of home in the empire, then how does a mixed community of Christian Judeans and Gentiles make home together? And how does a mixed community of tradespeople and dependents, educated and illiterate, free and slave, men and women, find home together in Messiah Jesus? What does homecoming look like for a community shaped fundamentally by the story of Jesus? How does that community embrace the story of Israel in light of the story of Jesus? And how does that story shape this community into a place of home? These questions are central to the epistle. Other more traditional theological topics such as righteousness and justification, the faith of Jesus Christ, and the status of Israel in Paul's theology can be helpfully set in the broader context of home and homemaking for a young Christian community of diverse ethnic, religious, social, and economic backgrounds. Biblical Homemaking in the Face of Empire The longing for home has always been central to biblical faith. This has always been the dream. This has always been the hope. If you put together the biblical themes of covenant, shalom, land, and inheritance, they all add up to home. We were created for home. Our sin is an act of home-breaking, and the longing and hope of all biblical faith remains that of homecoming. The traditional triad of creation, fall, and redemption is helpfully deepened and elucidated by the triad of home, homelessness, and homecoming. The promise to Abraham and the patriarchs was of a homeland. This was the promise to the slaves in Egypt and to those exiled in Babylon, and this was a promise always made in the shadow of empire. It was in the demise of the imperial project of Babel and the culture that followed it that Abraham was given a vision of home beyond empire. It was in the face of the homelessness of imperial slavery that the promise of home beyond Egyptian bondage was renewed. It was in the wilderness, a place that was uninhabitable, a place that could not be home, that Yahweh made home with his people and gave them the Torah as a charter for homemaking. And when the people proved themselves to be incurable homebreakers and found themselves in the homelessness of exile, the promise was renewed once again. Lift up your eyes and look around, proclaimed Isaiah. Open your eyes and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Isaiah 60, verse 4. Sisters and brothers are coming home. The longing for home cannot be extinguished. As Bruce Cockburn sings, to keep a million homeless down takes more than a strong arm up your sleeve. And there have been many strong arms, many home-destroying arms. From Pharaoh's brick quotas for the slaves in Egypt to Solomon's forced labor in which we see home recast once again as empire, the story is the same. Home is defiled. And it continues in Israel's story. From Assyrian and Babylonian exile to oppression by the Romans, the covenant people found themselves homeless in the empire. Whether we are talking about Caesar Augustus or General Augusto Pinochet, imperial regimes are always murderers of home, invariably in the name of home. Tragically, the defense of home, together with the expansion of the boundaries of home, often in the name of the fatherland, 
seems to legitimate and require the destruction of the home of others and the displacement of that home's inhabitants. This was Israel's story. By the time of Jesus, exile had become a permanent state of being. The people of Israel were exiled in their own land, subject to military thugs and slaves to their own fear, with crucifixion for those who dared to have a voice. We meet in this story one home-destroying empire after another. The people of Israel were exiled in their own land and the lands of others. Dispersed throughout the empire, Judean diaspora was cut off from home, subject to the imperial whim, and dismissed as a shameful and foolish people who resisted the imperial constructs of home. So Paul stands in the best of biblical traditions by deconstructing the imperial construction of Rome. We now turn to a reading of Paul's letter to the Romans from the perspective of homemaking in exile, homemaking in the face of a home-destroying empire. We are all home wreckers. Romans chapter 2 verse 1 to chapter 3 verse 20. The problem with any diatribe against a particular way of life is that it can so easily be construed as being about someone else. We criticize the lives of others as being distorted, as having no potential for homemaking while we are blind to our own homebreaking practices. And in a community as diverse as the house churches in Rome, there would be great potential for such self-righteous critique of one another, especially between the Judean and Gentile members of the community. For the Gentile members of the church, there would invariably have been a bias against their Judean brethren as a divisive group of people who had consistently been a threat to the Pax Romana, and therefore a threat to the very foundations of the Roman household. But the Judean members of the community could well have heard Paul's diatribe against idolatry as addressing the domicidal way of life of Gentiles in the empire. If home is a matter of inclusion and welcome, then Paul is going to have to address this division within the Christian community from the outset. If home is a place of belonging, of recognition and acceptance rather than disdain and rejection, then the apostle will need to find a way to break through that disdain and rejection so that the disparate Christian communities in Rome will be forged into a home of covenantal belonging in Messiah Jesus. So the apostle immediately asks his listeners, Who among us can judge another? Who among us can enact home-excluding judgment? Do any of us have some special virtue, some higher understanding, some preferred place in the home that God builds? No, he insists, we are all homebreakers, whether we are Gentile or Judean. Whoever you are, the apostle repeats, you are subject to the wrath of a God who seeks to make home, but is constantly thwarted by the homebreaking of his image-bearing creatures. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. It is true that the Torah of Israel is a word for homemaking, and while some Gentiles obey this Torah without knowing it, verses, chapter 2, verses 14 and 16, Many Judeans disobey it in their homebreaking ways, and that is why they remain in exile to this day, says Paul, the one-time Pharisee, verses 17 to 24. And not only are the children of the promise homeless in their exile, but their homebreaking also perpetuates the homelessness of the rest of the world. Isn't that why the prophet wrote that God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles, in verse 24? Moreover, while home is always rooted in rules and traditions, no real home can be sustained simply by the dutiful observation of those rules and traditions. Yes, circumcision was the foundational symbol of male membership in the covenantal household, but the old adage has some truth to it. Home is where the heart is. And if your heart is not rooted in the depths of covenant, then all the rule-keeping and tradition-honoring of the world still won't build home. Home is a spiritual reality, and if you get the rules but miss the spirit of the covenant, then you will find yourself to be profoundly homeless. So pagan idolatry meets Judean Torah-breaking, and we are all rendered homeless. Home requires faithfulness, yet we are all faithless. Home requires justice, yet we all practice injustice. 
So if Judeans are, like everyone else, incurable homebreakers, do they have any advantage over Gentiles? Of course they do, for they were given God's homemaking words. Even though they broke home, God continued to faithfully build home for and with them. Their story shows us how God won't let lies, injustice, or faithlessness get in the way of making truth, justice, and faithlessness, faithfulness our promised home. But we aren't there yet. Quoting, respectively, Psalms 14, 5, 10, and 36, all written against pagan oppressors of Israel, Paul levels out the home-breaking guilt, describing both Judean and Greek as under the power of sin. All have turned aside. There is no one who shows kindness. There is not even one. Chapter 3, verse 12. Their throats are opened graves. They use their tongues to deceive. Verse 13. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Verse 14. Without kindness and with a discourse of constant deception and violence, how can home ever be achieved? And in the middle of a careful compilation of quotations from the Psalms against pagans, Paul inserts one prophetic voice that is clearly directed not at Gentiles, not at those outside the covenantal community, but at the people of Israel in exile, at those inside the bounds of the covenantal home. Their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin and misery are in their paths, and the way of peace they have not known. Romans 3, 15-17, quoting Isaiah 59, 7-8. and 8. Home is a place of safety, yet in Israel, like in Rome, it has become a place of violence. Home, in its deepest covenantal meaning, is about shalom. It is a place of well-being, of wholeness, reconciliation, and restoration of all our relationships. But in Israel, like in Rome, the path of shalom has not been known. Paul sums it all up by proclaiming that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, in 20, verse 23. All have distorted the image of God. All have failed in their homemaking stewardship. All, save one. Homecoming is at hand. Romans 3, verses 21 to 31. There has been one righteous one, writes Paul. There has been one faithful one who can atone for the violence of our homemaking by bearing that violence and shedding his blood. All of us have sinned, Judean and Greek alike, and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, verse 23. All of us have given up the glory of bearing God's image and homemaking faithfulness. All of us have defiled the creational home. All of us are destroyers of home, and there is nothing that we can do to restore this home on our own. There is nothing that we can do to set ourselves free from our, our, from our idolatrous captivity and become homemakers anew. No, if there is to be a restored glory, a restored stewardship, a restored image of God in our lives, then it will come as a radical gift. Rooted in grace, restored homemaking is never finally a human accomplishment, but a gift of the divine homemaker. Because we have sold out our home to idolatry, another needs to accomplish this redemption of home. If it is our injustice that has rendered us homeless, then the justice that is required for homemaking must be found in another. If we are to be justified in coming home, then that justification will not be of our own making. If it is our infidelity that so fundamentally broke home, then we will need the faithfulness of another to restore home anew. This, says Paul, is the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. The faithful one, the one who maintains the fidelity that is the very foundation of all covenantal homemaking, is the place of mercy, so that home is restored and in him and our home-wrecking ways are passed over by God, and all those who trust in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ are made right at home. Verses 24 to 26. Homecoming is at hand, not as something that we have attained through our own hard work, but as a gift. Homecoming is at hand not by a steely resolve to obey the Torah, as good as the Torah is, but through grace. There is no home without grace. 
There is no homecoming without gift, and it doesn't matter whether you are a Judean or a Greek. Through Jesus the Righteous One, through Jesus the Just One, through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, homecoming is at hand for those who embrace and are embraced by his faithfulness. Re-narrating the story of home, Romans 4, 1 to 5, 11. Home is a gift that is received in humble faithfulness. Isn't that what the story has always been about? Isn't that the story that is the very foundation of our homemaking? All constructions of home are storied, we have suggested. Another way to say this is that all homes have family roots, and Rome's memory goes back to the story of the pious and godly Trojan hero, Aeneas, who escaped the Trojan War with his son, his father, and his household gods, and became the founder of Rome. For the people of Rome, the piety and faithfulness of Aeneas shapes the character of their fatherland and their homes. Paul, however, looks elsewhere to provide a narrative foundation for the homemaking community that is the church in Rome. And, not surprisingly, his memory goes back to the beginning of the covenant with Israel, back to Abraham. While Aeneas achieves home through military conquest, Abraham has nothing to go on except a promise. He was promised a home, and he received that promise in faith. Like all great stories, all meta-narratives, Paul tells a story of leaving home on the way to a home, but the protagonist is called to a home that he can only receive as a gift, never as an accomplishment of either his piety or his military prowess. And Paul brings us back to the foundational story of Abraham, not just for Judeans in Rome, but also for Gentiles who have followed Messiah Jesus to the fulfillment of this promise. So whose father is Abraham? Who are welcomed into the home that was promised to him? Who shares in the inheritance of Abraham? Those who share his faith, of course. Those who enter this home-constituting story through faith. The children of Abraham are those who claim him as father, not by family lineage, but by embracing the promise of covenantal homecoming. Iris, the slave woman, is welcomed home in Abraham. In near use, the Judean youth needs to understand the promise to Abraham in the world-embracing terms that were always at the heart of the covenant. Remember, the promise was that he would inherit the world. Romans 4, verse 13. The whole world, not just the land of Israel, is to be a home of righteousness. The justice of the covenant God is not limited to one people or to one place. No, the promise is for the whole world. All creation will be restored to a habitation for homemaking, and many people will become Abraham's descendants. Many people will embrace Abraham and Sarah as their great-great-grandparents. Do you want to come home? Do you want a home that the empire can never provide? Then abandon the empire's story of home and embrace the story of Abraham. Abandon all exclusionary home constructions. This is a double edge to it. By interpreting the promise to Abraham in cosmic and inclusive terms, Paul is under undermining both Judean and Roman exceptionalism. All are invited home to Father Abraham and the only house rule that counts is faithfulness. A faithfulness that goes beyond the family boundary markers of circumcision and beyond the boundaries of the law, even Israel's law. So, hoping against hope, Paul counsels these diverse communities of the way to follow Abraham and trust the promises, even against the evidence. Though the imperial forces of homelessness are forces of death, and the darkness of the grave is deep, there is a dawn to be embraced, the dawn of resurrection. The faithful one who incarnates justice, invites us home, and keeps the promise of Abraham has died at the hands of the empire and has risen in the homemaking power of God. Verses 24 and 25. Faith in this Jesus, Paul insists, will make us just, and in that justice we meet a peace that the Pax Romana can never understand. Chapter 5, verse 1. This is a peace with God through Jesus, the Messianic Lord. 
This is a peace through the one executed by the empire, and therefore believers are bold to proclaim that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Jesus is our Savior, not Caesar. There is no home without grace, and through Jesus we can enter the house of grace. Through Jesus we can stand in grace, and without such standing there can be no home. Verse 2. A home built on grace, however, is a home that will suffer at the hands of those who cannot comprehend such grace. This is a home that will reject the exclusionary categories of the empire and suffer for that rejection. But that suffering, mirroring as it does the very suffering of Jesus, will shape the community with the virtues of homemaking. This will be a community in which suffering produces endurance, a stubborn commitment to the vision of the homecoming kingdom, come what may. And that endurance gives birth to a depth of character in the community that produces hope. Home is a site of hope. Without hope, the home dies. But the hope of the gospel, writes the apostle, will not disappoint. This is a hope that will be fulfilled because the Holy Spirit has filled our hearts with love, which, of course, is the only secure foundation for any home. Verses 3-5 through A home built on grace is not a home that will easily set up barriers of exclusion against those who are seen to be unworthy of home or unclean and therefore unwelcome. No, this is a home in which God has proven his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 8 Sinners are welcome in this home. Indeed, Paul can't imagine any other kinds of members of the household. If all of this flies in the face of the theology of purity that had taken hold of some segments of first century Judean theology, then what Paul says next radically undermines and disarms the ideology of the empire. Surely, if home is to be a site of safety, then it needs to be a place of protection from and exclusion of those who are perceived to be enemies of the home, but Paul will have none of it. You see, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Verse 10. If home was broken because we became enemies of God, our creational home, and each other, then renewed homecoming can only happen through reconciliation. While we were far off, God opened the arms of welcome and brought us home. And somehow, though Paul does not deem it necessary to spell out how this all works, the death of the faithful one, the homelessness of the Messiah shed blood on a Roman cross, is how enemies are reconciled and welcomed home. In the mystery of the cross, the injustice of violent exclusion paradoxically makes us just. Home is to be a site of reconciliation, not enmity. Home is a place of forgiving welcome, not judgmental exclusion. Home is a place of love, not anger. Now that is something worth boasting about in the face of the empire. Verse 11. We could sum up the heart of Paul's theology here by saying that while Rome makes peace through the shedding of the blood of others, Jesus makes peace through the shedding of his own blood. Rome's peace, as well as Rome's sense of the security and identity of Rome, requires shedding the blood of its enemies. Only then can Rome rest secure. Paul describes an alternative vision of homecoming, together with an alternative vision of how we deal with our enemies. Jesus welcomes all home through his outstretched arms on a cross. All are welcomed home through his blood. Sinners, enemies, and all other kinds of homewreckers are welcomed and reconciled in this restored home. Amen.